Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Paige Mykoski, president and founder of Aviator Nation. Because the lifestyle brand is 70s inspired, I wanted to ask Paige how Gen Z's love for all things nostalgic is impacting sales. I also wanted to inquire about the company's challenges owning and operating its factory during the pandemic. Welcome, Paige. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. For those who don't know Aviator Nation, give us the Cliffs Notes. Um, okay, so yeah, Aviator Nation is a lifestyle brand that I started basically in my garage in Southern California about 15 years ago. 15 years, that's pretty great. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to even say that now. I'm like, wow, time flies. Was the concept the same as it is now? Um, I'm seeing some amazing loungewear, athleisurewear. Um, have, have you kind of veered toward that category in the, those categories in the last year? Or that's always been kind of core to the brand? Yeah, it's funny. Um, that has always been core to the brand. I mean, my passion since I was young has always been to be super comfortable and um, I love sweats and I love really soft t-shirts. And um, really that's just, you know, since I was young, I've worn vintage t-shirts and uh, super comfortable sweats like all the time. And so, yeah, I mean, when I started the company, my goal was pretty much to create something that's so comfortable uh, that I would want to wear it every single day myself. And um you know, now that athleisure is such a big deal and, you know, people are accepting the tracksuit and the sweatsuit or whatever you want to call it pretty much anywhere you go, uh, it obviously works to my benefit. But that is definitely what we have been doing since day one. Yeah. Are you your customer? Who is your customer? Do you kind of fit the demo? Yeah. So I absolutely am my customer. Um, when I when I started the company, it was specifically to make clothes for myself. I uh, I just really, I've always been very, very picky about um, what I'm wearing, specific to being super comfortable and like, specific colors. And and it's funny, I just, I just could not find anything in the stores that was what I wanted to wear. And it started with me really searching in vintage stores because I found that I was uh, I was more excited to wear vintage clothing because stuff that was made in the 70s and uh, early 80s and stuff like that was definitely more the style that I wanted. And so I found myself looking for clothes at flea markets and in thrift stores and stuff like that. And then I realized it's so hard. Like I spend a whole day looking for like one t-shirt because it's not easy to find t-shirts from the 70s. You know, it's like, can find stuff from the 90s and 2000s, but it's hard to find the really old good stuff. And so finally it dawned on me, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm spending a whole day looking for a t-shirt. Why don't I learn how to make this? And um, that's just always kind of been my personality is figuring out how to make something. And um, so I bought a sewing machine for $200 and literally started sewing clothes for myself and taught myself everything. Um, I taught myself how to screen print. I set up a whole thing to screen print in my bedroom at the little four color press and taught myself to sew and started making patterns. And, you know, with no fashion background, I was basically making my own clothing um, within a couple weeks. Nice. Where were you selling it right out of the gate? 
So right out of the gate, I um, I was living in Venice, California at Venice Beach. And um, my opinion was Fred Siegel Santa Monica was like the best store. And um, I always loved going in there because they had designers I'd never heard of. And um, they always had kind of funky stuff. And so I thought, you know, I need to take this to my favorite store because this I'm making my favorite clothes, you know. And, um, and, and really, at first, like I said, I was making it for myself. And then what happened? was I was wearing it around town and I kept getting stopped and people really did come out of nowhere and uh, they would ask me what I was wearing. And it, it was happening so much that it was just crazy. It was just so obvious that I needed to learn how to to, to make it a business. And um, so, yeah, after days of that happening multiple times in one day, I decided I would try to sell it. And I, and I decided that Fred Siegel Santa Monica would be the spot because I thought that was the best store in town. So I went in there um, wearing the clothes, you know, that I had made myself. And I basically asked if a buyer was around and, um, you know, they kind of looked at me like, are you kidding me? Like, we're just going to like, let you talk to the buyer, you know? And, um, but so I said, look, I said, you know, I don't, I'm wearing these clothes that I made myself and everywhere I go, people are trying to buy them off my back. So I think that I need to be selling my clothes in your store. And, um, and I said, I love your store. I'm your customer and I would buy this, you know? So anyway, uh, I kind of gave him my little pitch, whoever was working there at the counter. And, um, and I left and I was getting in my car. And before I pulled out of the parking lot, I got a phone call and they said, Hey, our buyer actually, um, just saw you walk out. She loves what you're wearing. She wants to meet with you tomorrow. And so, uh, that was my first, that was my first buy. And I rolled the rack in there the next day of all the clothes that I had personally sewn myself. Um, she wrote an order for $8,000 and, um, which is even today a pretty decent size order. And, uh, and I was like, okay, you got it. She said, when can you have it? And I'm trying to do the math in my head. Cause I know I have to make the clothes myself, you know, and cause I was obviously making it. And so I said, ah, you know, I can have it in three months. And she said, perfect. And so anyway, I had my first order. I love this story. Like bold, bold gestures pay off. I can like, I'm picturing the scene where you're like, where's the buyer? Do you see what I'm wearing? <laughs> yeah, totally. Like with no experience, you know, I was just kind of like, uh, okay, well, here it is. This is what I'm wearing. You know, please let them know. <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> I was, I was super pumped, obviously, when I got that phone call. Um, but you know, I, I mean, and it's funny because when I, when friends ask me about business and like how to start a company and all this stuff, like I, I, there's obviously a lot of responses to that, but one of the biggest things is just go for it, you know, because the thing is like, if you waste too much time on the little details of how should you do something, I mean, you really just got, you have to put it out there. Yeah, for sure. Talk about that LA focus. You started at Fred Siegel. You're still based in LA. Uh, most of your employees work in your factory that's based, again, in, in California. Um, how important is it to to maintain that? Um, is that, again, core to the brand and the brand story? Um, any changes there or any uh, plans to change? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, I was inspired, um, my drawings, I mean, all, all the graphics and stuff are hand drawn by myself. So, you know, I am, I was an artist as a young girl. And, and, you know, now I do that a, a lot of that digitally. But the thing is, I'm inspired by what's around me. And, you know, I was living in California when I started the company, I'm still living in California, 
a lot of the year. I, I bounce around now quite a bit, but you know, California is the core of the inspiration for the brand, mostly because I personally love an outdoor lifestyle. I love to surf, I love to bike, hike, snowboard, all the things. And, um, and so really, you know, being in California is just so critical because I do find myself inspired um, by where I am. And when I'm in California, you know, I see things all the time and I'm like, oh, I want to, I want to do that. You know, whether it's a color combination of like a vintage sticker on an old car, or, you know, whatever it is, a lot of it still comes from, uh, being in California. And then, you know, it's because it started that way, I have this belief that, you know, being authentic is, is really the best way to, to survive, um, and staying true to yourself. And, and the thing is, you know, California is where it started. California is where, where it grew, where, you know, such a huge part of the brand that I absolutely want to keep it in California. Um, it's obviously super expensive to do that. And a lot of people think I'm crazy, um, because, you know, I could obviously make a lot more money making it overseas or whatever, but, Having the factory in California and um, most of my stores in California is is just critical to the authenticity of the brand. Um, and I, I really believe that. So I'll absolutely keep it there. Well, I want to dig into that a little bit, but I have to ask if it was um, today, 2021, and you're like, I'm going to get into this store and that's going to be like my, that's the ultimate, that's my made it moment, that's going to help me get this brand off the ground. What would you do today? Like, what would be that store? What would be that channel? Ooh, uh, you know, it's hard because to be honest, now I pretty much only wear Aviator Nation. So I don't shop a lot at um, boutiques. I'm trying to think what, what would be. I mean, today, if I was starting, honestly, I think what I would do is I would open my own store right away. Um, nice. I think, yeah, I really think that when I did that, that was when everything really shifted because I really believe that you, you know, you need something people can experience all around them. Like having garments on a table is great. Um, and being in cool boutiques, you know, is super important and I will continue to sell to other stores that I really love. But when you can create a store yourself, you know, that's really the best way to put yourself out there. Um, I absolutely think it's worth the risk. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. You know, I, I have a lot of stores. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But, you know, I do think that creating an environment that people can walk into is, is the way to go. So if I was starting right now, I would just I would build a store right away. Let's talk about that breakdown, uh, direct to consumer versus wholesale. And how many stores are we talking yeah. So at this point, I am up to 13 retail locations, Aviator Nation stores. I call them all flagships because each one is actually completely unique um, and special for its own reasons. So yeah, uh, I am probably at about 80%, maybe actually, well, 90% direct to consumer, 10% wholesale. Nice. Yeah. And <laughs> a, a lot of that is online and then you know, 13 retail stores. What's your strategy for retail stores? Um, where, where in the country are you following your customer? And uh, yeah, what's the format, I guess? Are they all um, similar in how they, they look and feel? 
Yeah. So again, I really go back to myself. I mean, I, I, I get to be super selfish in this regard because I get to think about, you know, okay, I created the clothes for myself in the beginning. I definitely am still my customer. So where would I want to be? Where would I shop? Where would I want to travel? You know, that's what I think about. And so I'm, I'm opening stores in my favorite places in the world. Um, and that's what I've done so far. And it's really worked. You know, I, I kind of took a chance opening in Aspen, Colorado, but that's hands down my favorite mountain town. Um, a lot of people told me it was super seasonal, super expensive real estate, you know, and it's honestly one of our top performing stores. So, you know, I really have gone with my gut on places that I personally love. Uh, you know, it happens to be that I love places that, you know, are super rad places. I mean, I think that places that we have stores are just are a perfect fit because there's so much going on. I like to be involved in the communities. I like places that have visitors, but also have a strong local community. Um, I think it's important to not put all your eggs in the tourist basket, you know, to really have uh, like local people that are shopping for their birthday presents and their Mother's Day and their Father's Day and, you know, and also support the community, which is a whole nother kind of um, thing I'm passionate about, but yeah, so, so, so I, I have gone back to places that I just loved growing up as a kid and, um, and that's where all my stores are now. And, and thinking about other stores that I may open, it's the same thing. It's just like, what other places do I really love? Like, where do I want to hang out? For sure. Well, you were one of the first people to talk to me uh, in March of 2020 uh, when the world started going crazy. And you were so, I just, you were so open and honest. And I was like, thank goodness. Cause I was like, how are we going to help brands, you know, be their guide? That's what we pride ourselves in without knowing what you're going through. We had no idea at the time. Yeah. It was like, were closed for business. It was a scramble. You were really getting uh, scrappy in terms of making ends meet. Talk to me. Let's just start at the beginning, the challenges, and definitely went, we'll get to the the stores um, as part of that as well. But um, yeah, what was the the cha- what were the challenges right off the bat? Yeah. So the biggest challenge for me, you know, basically what happened was on like March 14th or something, I think they closed down um, the city of Aspen, which affected my Aspen location. Um, and I remember I had just opened my Vegas store. I was on a plane flight back from Vegas to actually to Austin, Texas. And I got word that we had to shut the Aspen store down. And I was like, oh, wow, this is getting really serious. And so we shut that down. And then a couple days later uh, on the news, the governor of California basically put the shelter in place for all of California on a Thursday. And he said that, you know, everything had to be shut down by the end of day Friday. And so I had, you know, pretty much 24 hours or give or take to shut down everything. And with California, I mean, that meant most of my brick and mortar retail stores, that meant my complete, my headquarters, which is my offices, and then my factory, which, you know, I have about 200 people working in my factory, my fulfillment center. I mean, pretty much everything had to be completely shut down. So the thing is, you know, we're not shipping online orders from like some other place in the, in the country, like everything is in California. So when that happened, um, I basically, you know, immediately I decided that, okay, if we're going to shut everything down, all of my employees are literally going to be, we're going to, sh- we're going to like put a seat, like we're going to seize cash flow completely 
and all of my employees are going to be out of work. And so I was like, well, the first thing I wanted to do is make sure the employees were not out of work because, you know, after 15 years, you know, I have relationships with all these people. Obviously, I care about all my employees a lot. And um, it started running through my head, like, what am I going to do? So like, of course, like, I figured out immediately kind of what it would cost to pay the employees um, for every week that we were shut down or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to need, I'm going to need something significant here. And I just decided, okay, so if I, what I want to do is um, basically do a flash sale on our website, because when we do sales, I mean, we definitely drive a lot of traffic to the website because we never allow things to be on sale and we don't have sale, you know, items very often. So, so I did a flash sale for 24 hours, which would allow me enough time to pack the orders before we had to really shut down because we could kind of stretch it through the weekend a little bit um, if we had to pack the orders in the fulfillment center. So I, did, I announced a 24-hour flash sale and I announced that every dollar um, would go directly to the employees to keep them paid through the shutdown. Um, and we ended up having our biggest day of all time by far. Um, we did $1.5 million online in 24 hours. And um, that money literally paid for over 200 employees for, you know, a few months, which is what we needed and about what we were shut down for. So it was, it was amazing. It was awesome because in 24 hours, I literally saw what happened on our website. I saw the, the, the possibility of what our website could do. Um, not only was I immediately relieved because I had money now in the bank to pay the people, even though they weren't going to be working. Um, but I also realized just, you know, what you can do with online business. And, um, and I did like leading up to the sale because I had like five or six hours. I stayed up literally all night merchandising the website, making sure everything was perfect, like checking our inventory, putting the stuff we had a lot of at the top, like just really, really, I mean, I pretty much redesigned the website in six hours to be this like powerhouse machine. And of course, I'm thinking to myself afterwards, why am I just now doing this? Like, like, you know, I mean, I just I just made our website so much better in like seven hours because I'm in survival mode. Um, and I, you know, I was like troubleshooting things like this is not working this. I need this sweatpant next to this shirt so it'll sell better as a set. Like, you know, just thinking about all these things. Um, but it worked. And I mean, we just killed it. And obviously, I took care of the employees, but um, I also learned a lot. Um, it was incredible also just from it, seeing my team work together because to fill the orders was a giant undertaking. Um, it was a lot of orders and it had to happen fast. I mean, I had my managers from all over the place, like in our fulfillment center, like working next to our pick and packers, like just everyone was packing orders. I mean, in the entire company, um, it was crazy. We just had like piles of, you know, UPS bags. I think several UPS trucks had to come. I mean, it was it was really cool to see everyone pull together and everyone knew that we were doing this for the you know for the whole staff to really be able to go home and stay home and be safe and still get a paycheck well, obviously, the acceleration of your uh, e-commerce evolution, I guess. Um, what other learnings came out of that? Maybe what stuck after that whole uh, experience? And maybe, yeah, what did that change for you? You know, I think everything really changed because I realized, you know, what was possible with the website um, so that was a, that was a big thing for me. I now, even today, I mean, I spend most of my time focused on the website 
And, um, you know, every, everything is really important in the company, every element, but the website is really our lifeline to everybody. And um, so, you know, making sure that that really functions super well and um, just is always updated um, and constantly putting out new product and, you know, keeping people engaged um, on the website and through social media and stuff like that. But I realized the power of digital and, and how many people you can reach on a short period of time. Um, I also realized how loyal our followers were, you know, and, and I think that that just kind of gave me this confidence, um, which now, you know, I'm really putting into my designs because I'm starting to design things that are a little bit more crazy and fun. And I'm not, you know, for a long time, I was really, you know, set on certain core items that still do very well for us, but just basic kind of rainbow stripes on the chest and different stuff like that. But like now, like I designed this collection with tigers all over it. And I just feel this kind of confidence because I feel like we have this great following. And I realized how loyal our customers are. I mean, yes, they got a great deal on the sale, but ultimately I think they wanted to take care of my employees. You know, I got a lot of messages of people that were like, look, if there's anything I can do to help you, just random customers that were like, you know, I'll do PR for free. Like I'll do whatever. Like we just don't want anything to happen to you guys. Like we love you. It's just, it was cool to see all that support, um, which makes me just feel like even more freedom to kind of just do what I, what I want and not be kind of like in this hole of like the finances, like trying to make sure everything's good. Just kind of like, you know what, like we've got this, like we have customers that love us and let's just have fun with this, you know? And, and that's kind of how I've gone into the last, you know, like year and it, and so far so good. I mean, everyone really loves everything that we're doing and, and we're seeing our, our following just kind of grow and grow even more. How are you able to fuel, I guess, that community? Where are they, um, where are you connecting with them? Uh, and yeah, how are you getting to know that customer? Yeah. So getting to know the customer is actually super important. And um, I think that we put a lot of time into traveling around and meeting people. We do a lot of events. So I got involved in music festivals about 10 years ago. I did the Austin City Limits Music Festival. And it was my first time to kind of like just put myself in the middle of a music festival uh, in a booth and sell clothes. And, and, I, and I talked to hundreds of people um, that day about the brand. And, and I realized that that's what we need to be doing. Like we need to be talking to our customers face to face, having those experiences. And so we now do several music festivals and I send my team around and, you know, people really do get to meet the team. And I think that that's important. You know, they obviously get to meet the team in the stores too, which I think is super important. Um, and a lot of people now travel to different stores and, and meet the team and come into the store and, and, and feel part of the brand when they visit a store. But I think the festivals and the events and, and, you know, I send my people around that like work in the stores and at work at headquarters. Sometimes the guy that does all my e-commerce head of my customer service travels sometimes to these festivals and people will meet him and, and they know him because they've like bought orders from us online and, you know, like making that connection, like, oh, you're a real person. Person, you know, and um, and and so I do that like as much as I can. And when I when I open a store, I actually move to the place where I'm opening the store, and I live there while it's being built. So I relocate for three or four months, and I literally live in the community, get to know the people, 
have lunch on the street every day, like shop in the neighborhood. And so I get to know the people in those. So, so that really has been huge because with 13 stores, you know, that's me being in these places for three months of, I basically lived out of a suitcase for like three years when I opened like the last seven stores and pretty much got to know people all over the country. And I think that that spreads, you know, because then they're like, oh yeah, you know, I met Paige and, you know, whatever. And so I think that that's, I think that's super critical. And then hosting things in our stores is another thing that we do that we bring people in from the community and they get to know the store. And, you know, the personal relationship really is important, even when they're shopping online, if they have had that experience. Right on. Talk to me about the Aviator Nation lifestyle. It sounds like a music is very uh, part of your DNA with the festivals. I know you recently collaborated with Gibson, which is oh so cool. Um, yeah, talk to me. Is that what's the lifestyle? How does music play in? Yeah, so music is this huge per- personal passion of mine, and um, it's kind of funny. I mean, I have a speaker that I literally carry around with me all day, room to room, wherever I go. If I go to the kitchen and make lunch, or I go outside, it's like. I have to have music playing all day long. And um, and I have always felt that we need to take care of the musicians. And, um, and, you know, because they're putting out this artwork that is so critical to me and to a lot of people. And the festivals are, are I think, just so awesome for the, all the communities and cities that they're in. I think it really brings us together to have live music And so, you know, basically, whether I'm listening to digital music or I'm at a live event, I just think that it's it's just a really important part of our culture. And um, and so I've always really wanted to support that. And when I opened my first retail store um, on Abbott Kinney in Venice, California, I specifically wanted to open a place that had a stage. So I wanted to build a stage and. I wanted to, it was almost like 50-50 with the clothes. It was like, okay, I want to sell clothes, but I also want to host local music. So, um, because I had all these friends that were artists and, you know, they're all trying to get gigs places in LA and, and I'm like, this is silly. We just need to build a stage and have our friends over. I mean, we don't need you to book a gig. Like, let's just create a spot for you to play. And so I did that with Abbott Kinney and, um, I mean, we had amazing bands play, uh, I mean, Foster the People played like one day and they had like barely, I mean, they like, you know, had barely started. And once I saw what happened with that, not only did it, it create, like cultivated all these friendships and relationships in the community, but like I saw the people all then supporting the artist and being like, oh, well, let's follow you. Like, when are you playing again? Like, you know, and, and I saw how important it was. And, and so I said, I'm going to do this in all of my stores. So all of the stores have live music and live events and, and, um, and so we really do try to create stages for these artists. And then with the festivals, a lot of times I do something backstage for the artist. That's kind of my thing. Like we do, we have a thing in front of house, like, you know, where we sell t-shirts and stuff like that. But we, a big part of what we do at these festivals is actually create a lounge for the artist because I just think that the artists are just kind of bombarded by these commercial, you know, things, everyone's trying to sell them something or whatever. I mean, if you go in, I I do a TP and and there's like no branding at all. And you go into the TP and it's just, you're just hanging out. And, and, and I do it because I feel, I feel like I want the artist to have a good time because if they don't have a good time, Mm -hmm. they're not going to want to tour. And then we're all going to be screwed because the good bands aren't going to want to tour. So, you know, (laughs) it's kind of like, 
it's for some reason I feel that I'm I have this mission to take care of the musicians, um, and so yeah, so it, I, I try to be in, as involved as I can and um, and just keep music part of the conversation and in, in anything that I do. Talk to me about your overall marketing strategy, because I feel like 15 years ago, it was a different landscape, a different space than it is today. Obviously, you took more of a, um, I don't know, hands-on, grassroots kind of approach early on. Has that stuck? Have you Is digital marketing a huge part of the equation? What's, what's I guess, the marketing mix? You know, from day one, I never spent much money on marketing. It was all about getting out there and meeting people. And um, I would say that my retail stores are probably a big part of the marketing just because, you know, if you're in an amazing city traveling and you see an Aviator Nation store, you walk in and have an experience. It's a much better, it's much better than seeing a giant billboard. And to be honest, it costs about the same, you know, and it's like, okay, what's better to have an experience you can walk into or just like a giant ad in front of your face, you know, I mean, obviously an ad is going to get to more people probably or whatever, but I think having that experience is just such a deeper um, situation. And I really believe in this like deep rooted uh, relationships and, and making an impact on somebody. I think there's so much content out there right now, especially with digital media and everything. It's just, you know, it's everywhere. It's like confusing. It's hard to understand like what brand is that? Well, they all start to look the same, you know? And so what we do is I really try to have some, you know, an experience for people in these different cities where I know my customers are. And, um, you know, we do something, we do a little bit of stuff on social media. It's not a huge driver for us. Um, but yeah, it's important also. Um, but you know, everything is super authentic with us. I mean, the models that I use today are the same models that I used 10 years ago. And, and they were friends of mine that I found, I mean, like one of the girls, I mean, is literally a friend of mine and she's in all my campaigns and she's been with me since day one. And she was hardly modeling when I hired her. And it's like, you know, we're all friends, you know, the guy that does all my photography, Nick Onkin, super amazing guy. I mean, he did everything for free for years, just for a hoodie, you know, and, and he does major campaigns for, for other brands, but like, you know, we're friends. And so I think the authenticity of even our photo shoots kind of comes out, um, in our, in our campaigns and stuff like that. And, um, and, you know, I think that just, just really getting to know as many customers as we can, um, is, is critical. Your stores seem to be a big part of that. Are more stores coming? And also were your landlords nice? Did they give you a deal this last year? (laughs) What happened there? Oh man. I mean, it's funny because I probably should have tried to get more deals than I did. I think that I was so, I really put more energy into, um, you know, just like trying to figure out how to make the website work and, and sales and stuff like that. I did, I mean, the stuff with the real estate, you know, I, they're hurting really just as bad as we are in a lot of ways, because, you know, a lot of their people obviously couldn't pay them. When I was able to raise that money, you know, like it helped me pay that as well. So, you know, luckily the money didn't really run out by the time the stores were able to open. I think that had it have run out, if it would have run out, I probably would have been asking the the landlords for more help, but um, I, I probably could have. But the reality is, you know, we, we really had the support of our customers and, um, and so we were able to pay our landlords for the most part, but yeah, I mean, opening more stores is, 
is definitely in the plans. I'm trying to figure out, you know, I don't want to be everywhere. I definitely will not be the brand that has like 150 stores. You know, that's just not me. So I want to be, I want to keep it tight. I believe in quality over quantity, you know, like choosing the really, really great locations. Um, we're definitely not a mall brand, you know, so I don't know. I'm looking at New York. We have a ton of people asking us to open in New York. So I'm starting to think about, um, to think about that. I personally love Brooklyn. I mean, I love this city. I love Soho. You know, it's, it's hard to choose really exactly where I need to be, but I'll probably spend some time in New York soon and start thinking about it because I I think it's going to be a good time to open in New York. Um, but you know, I think that maybe some international stuff could be fun, you know? Yes. Yeah. I think that obviously it'd be fun for me because I would get to travel, (laughs) but, um, (laughs) it's, it's also fun for my employees because we all build our stores. I don't know if you know that, but I actually take my staff with me and we build the stores. So, um, it's kind of this like bonding thing that we do as well. So, you know, I'll probably think about that, but Along the same lines of what we have right now, just really great cities, places you want to visit, places that you want to travel to, but also have an awesome local community. Yeah. And as far as international, is that a big goal for 2021? Are you selling online um, right now? Yeah, we are selling online internationally. So we ship everywhere. Uh, We figured out how to do that um, a few years ago, and, and it's great, you know, so we can ship anywhere in the world. Uh, as far as having actual stores other places in the world, I think it would be really fun. I haven't really done all the, the legwork yet to figure out what that would take. Um, but I have a few places in mind that I think would be really special. We opened a store on the North Shore in Oahu, uh, Hawaii, um, a little over a year ago. And that store has done great. And that was very much like kind of in the middle of nowhere. And, um, and people love it because, you know, when they're, when they're there, they're discovering it and they're like, Oh my God, an aviator nation store is here. You know, I like that kind of surprise factor, you know? So I don't think that I'll open stores where a lot of other brands are, you know, I think I'll open stores in kind of random obscure locations because, for me, it's more about that that's unique experience and the discovery. Um, I love that people could discover the brand somewhere totally out of the ordinary. And is that what growth means for the brand? Does it mean, um, I guess, expansion to new markets or does it mean maybe new categories? Uh, yeah, what's the strategy for growth? Yeah, I think for growth, um, for me, I'm at the point now that I'm 15 years in that I'm really starting to look at new categories. I think that, you know, I've always said, you know, don't try to do everything, you know, really be, you know, be great at one thing rather than try to do everything. But, you know, we've done this for a while now. And, and I think that if I, I always try to think of myself as the customer and if I was the customer, I would want something else, you know, I would want sunglasses or, you know, whatever it's going to be bags or, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we can do. I mean, even home goods and towels and, you know, I'm starting to, I'm starting to think like, what would I really want? But I definitely, you know, feel like the customer is going to want more soon. And, um, so I'm putting a lot of work into design and development right now. And that's, that's a huge part of the future, which is exciting because designing is my favorite part. So. Is any part of that uh, the crowding in the space, in the loungewear space? I'm hearing, um, you know, are we at peak sweatpant in all of this talk? Um, but yeah, talk to me about that. Are you feeling that? 
I think there's a lot. I mean, everybody's doing it. That's for sure. You know, it's it's everywhere. But, you know, I also say that when everyone's doing it, that's that's just because everybody wants it, you know. So I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think that, you know, for me, seeing more people enter the space just forces me to be even better at what I'm doing. Um, you know, obviously competition is going to always make the product better. So, um, you know, I'm using that as motivation and, and, and it's driving me. I'm always like, okay, now do we still have the softest hoodie? If we don't, we need to change something, you know, I think it's really important to come out with new product constantly. Um, that's probably where I spend most of my time is really just constantly dropping new product. I think that people have realized that they can be comfortable and it's acceptable now. I think that, um, you know, in California, I feel like it's always kind of been acceptable to wear whatever you want and be super comfortable. But now people all over the yeah. country are realizing that. And, um, and really, you know, even with what I'm doing, I mean, I, there's so many sweatsuits that we came out with that you can wear anywhere. You could wear out to dinner. You can wear New Year's Eve, you know? I mean, I went to a party for New Year's Eve a few years ago, obviously not during COVID. Um, and I'll never forget, like the DJ was wearing one of my sweatsuits and I'm like, okay, this is amazing. Like the DJ is a super rad DJ. They're on stage and they're wearing my sweatsuit. Like this can be worn anywhere. This is not something yeah. for sitting around your house. You know, this is a... This is, you know, I think that, I mean, personally, I think that sweats, wearing sweats in public just shows confidence. You know, I think that it shows like, hey, like, this is who I am. I'm being comfortable and this is what I want to wear. And and that energy that comes from that can be really great. So, I, you know, I feel like with COVID, like more people realize they could do that because they're yeah. like, oh, well, you know, I want to be comfortable all the time, you know, uh, but I, really. I, I don't think it's going anywhere. I really don't. I, you're so right. It's always been okay in California. It's like the Californication of fashion. <laughs> right? Totally. <laughs> and yes. For some reason, California has like always been able to do it. But now I feel like more people are able to do it. It's a great thing. This was so good. We're all out of time. But thank you for being here. Loved our conversation. Yes. Thank you so much. It was awesome. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.